This is the Digital Corporate Communication Podcast. Hello, I'm Dr. Mark Badham. And I'm Professor Vilma Luomaaho. Together we research corporate communication at Uvascular University School of Business and Economics. And we are co-editors of the Handbook of Digital Corporate Communication, or DCC. In this podcast series, we interview some of the best corporate communication scholars across the globe. Each one has written a chapter for the handbook. We ask, what is technology changing or not changing in corporate communication? And how are we dealing with the influence of technology? So today we are talking about digital corporate communication and financial communications and investor relations. We're talking with Alexander Luskin, Professor of Strategic Communication at Quinnipiac University in the USA. And he is a recognized, well, internationally recognized uh, scholar in this area of uh, research. So welcome to the podcast, Alexander. Uh, thank you, Mark. It's great to be here. Good. So let me start off with the first question, an obvious one. It's about, you know, uh, perhaps you could define for us both financial communication and investor relations. Sure, and uh, I'll start with uh, financial communication. It's kind of an earlier term, and uh, some would say more encompassing term. Yeah, it's basically any communication <laughs> that <laughs> involves anything financial. So, if you want to talk about profits, if you want to talk about interest rates, if you want to talk, talk about even winnings from a lottery, these are financial communications. And uh, financial communications are not limited. Uh, to investor relations. That's why many people think that financial communication is a more encompassing term because banks, for example, the banking industry does a lot of financial communications. They have to explain interest rates. They have to explain credit cards. They have to explain uh, uh, mortgages and how the process works to, to, to buy a house or to refinance a house. So there is a lot of communications about financial matters coming from the banking industry. Right. The same is true uh, for the government. Government talks about national debt or government talks about sending stimulus checks to people in the midst of the pandemic. Hmm. So there is a lot of financial communications coming from the government. And so if we look at the corporations, uh, corporations also in, uh, engage in financial communications and uh, much of the financial communication that corporations do is targeted at investors, people who in uh, who buy stock in corporations and uh, who care about how corporations are doing because it's their money on the line. Uh, they want to know if uh, a corporation had a profitable uh, year, if uh, a corporation is uh, going to pay dividends to the shareholders. They want to know uh, how much money the corporation is going to pay to the named executive officers, such as CEO or CFO, to, re to, to, to reward them for their work. And uh, in many countries, uh, shareholders are actually allowed to vote on that and say, no, I don't. I think we are, we are paying too much to the CEO. Uh, he or she doesn't deserve that much money. Uh, but so investor relations, some people see as a subset of financial communication, but I actually have a, a, a different opinion on that. I actually think that investor relations is a broader term rather than financial communications. And that right. comes not necessarily from academic readings, but from my personal experience. 
in the investor relations industry. I spent several years uh, working uh, uh, leading investor relations program for uh, a large manufacturing company, global company. And in my years uh, in investor relations, I noticed that I do talk about financial matters, but most of my time is really talking about non-financial things. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, one, uh, one of the divisions of our company was uh, upgrading and this division was in charge of making steel and uh, cast iron and other metal products and we were upgrading our furnaces so we were uh, uh, trying to raise money in order to upgrade to electric arc furnace or induction furnace and i spent a lot of time talking to investors about the technology part i didn't talk about money i, I explained <laughs> to them what right. electric arc furnace can do versus induction furnace and why we need electric arc furnace. So I, it was all technology talk. It had nothing to do with finance. It had nothing to do with money. And even today, imagine all the technology companies like Google. You're trying to understand how they're making money, their algorithms, how they uh, process information on the web. I, I, I bet investor relations people at Google spend a lot of time talking about technology. Mm. Mm. Or just recently we had at an annual shareholder meeting for Tesla. And <laughs> there was a, a certain percentage of the annual shareholder meeting dedicated to talking about the numbers, but even longer time was dedicated to actual technology. Uh, it was multiple hours. There was a separate event called Battery Day event where all they were talking about at the annual shareholder meeting was about battery technology and the chemicals and how they are going to upgrade it. There was nothing said about the uh, profits or sales in, in this uh, a couple of hours. It was all about technology. And so investor relations, in my mind, is more than financial communications. There is financial communications, but there is a lot of communications about non-financial information as well. Because... Mm -hmm. A lot of value nowadays in our modern economy is a non-financial sense. It's in technology. It's maybe a supply chain management for Walmart, for example. Nobody can beat Walmart because of how they manage their supply chain and how they can squeeze every little dollar or every cent from their suppliers, uh, for better or worse. Um, and so investor relations, in my mind, is about building and maintaining relationships with investors, and in order to build and maintain relationships, we have to talk about everything. Yes. We don't talk just about finances. We talk about non-financial stuff. One of the interesting, probably one of the most uh, vivid examples of that, and I wrote about it uh, uh, many years ago for the Institute for Public Relations, was the situation uh, at Apple when it was discovered that Steve Jobs mm. uh, may have a cancer. Right. And... Investor relation, investor relation stuff at Apple, they pretty much became full-time medical professionals. <laughs> they had to explain to investors the details of Steve Jobs' diagnosis and the treatment and why he chooses to do this but not that. Now, how is that financial communication? Yeah. But Steve Jobs is an important part of was an important part of uh, part of value creation for Apple, and Obviously, investors were worried about what's going to happen with Apple yes. after Steve Jobs, and uh, uh, it, it it has a direct impact on the share price. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> so investor relations 
in my mind, is yeah. an all-encompassing job yeah. that includes financial communications, non-financial communications, and simply maintaining and uh, build, uh, building and maintaining relationships. Yes. Okay. That's interesting. So in the role of financial communication or and or uh, investor relations, um, yes, it's a relationship that you're trying to build with your target audience or interested in the finance because they're financially invested or they have a financial stake in your organization, but then you need to be an expert on the topics that affect their finances, whether it's the boss's health uh, or new technology or problems with the organization. So I understand. That's a good point to make. So you've mentioned governments, you've mentioned uh, banks, um, and I guess technology companies too, you've mentioned. What about uh, not-for-profits? I, I, in I understand that they don't have to put together annual reports in some countries, maybe in other countries they do, but I see them producing annual reports whether they are regulated to do so or not. Would you consider that uh, financial communication? Absolutely. And uh, I'm located in the United States, and in the United States, nonprofit organizations do have to provide financial reporting. Uh, they do have to disclose uh, their finances, so they do engage in financial communication. Mm. But even when uh, you are not required mm. to disclose information or report on your financial uh, finances, uh, for nonprofits, mm. the trust of the people who support them, I mm. think, is of utmost importance. And if you are, you don't even have to be shady, but if, if there is even a perception of something being done behind closed doors, something inappropriate, something shady, that can hurt nonprofit a lot. Yes. And uh, one of the best scholars of nonprofit communications, Catherine Kelly, uh, who unfortunately passed away uh, a few years ago, she did amazing studies. She published multiple books on the communications from nonprofits, and significant part of that research was on financial communications, how nonprofits should communicate the financial information. Mm. Um, I remember she talked about uh, a stewardship uh, as mm. the, an important part of what nonprofits should be doing. And mm. she identified four R's of stewardship. I may not be able to name them all off the top <laughs> of my head. The reciprocity, responsibility, reporting, and relationship nurturing. Hey, wow. what do you know? Well I can done. name them all four. Uh, and <laughs> so reporting is one of those R's, yeah. meaning yeah. If, comp if, if people or organizations give a nonprofit, give nonprofit money or any other kind of donation or support, you have to report back to them. Yeah. You have to explain uh, uh, how you used that yeah. donation. And nonprofits are usually mission driven, so they have mm. a mission. Mm. And yeah. so they have to spend that in support of their mission. If the nonprofit mission is to help veterans, they should be spending money on veterans, not on uh, organizational retreats in the yeah. in Hawaii, for example. And so this is part of the reporting, being open yeah. and disclosing that information about how you are spending the missions. Okay, good. So now that we've covered the scope of financial communication and investor relations, we've covered definitions, I guess, and types of organizations involved. Um, let's talk now about digitalization. Um, so the focus of this podcast is about digitalization's effects. So um, let me ask you, what has digitalization changed about financial communication and investor relations? <laughs> 
Well, the most obvious thing that digitization uh, uh, changed um, is access to information. Hmm. In the past, um, when uh, a uh, when a, a company had important communication, important change, let's say again, uh, thinking back to to my experience in the industry that we upgraded to electric arc furnaces, uh, we may call financial analysts that follow our company. We had, uh, I believe, eight or nine financial analysts that, who were responsible for writing reports about the company. And I would, it was actually even before email, so I would call them <laughs> and tell them. We may invite them into our offices if they wanted to meet with CEO, CFO, the people who can explain the technology, the technology uh, uh, experts, engineers, to communicate all that information. And so then the analyst would write a report and the report would go to their clients, which are also big investment organizations. And for the regular people to get access to that information, it was, if it picks up in, a, if the story gets picked up in the media, maybe, mm -hmm. uh, but usually they wouldn't know about that at all. Uh, we did not really communicate that information to regular people, to retail shareholders, so to say. Nowadays, uh, everything, any press release we're sending out, any communications we're doing goes online. So companies have website. Everything goes on website. Almost every big corporation has a dedicated investor relations page. Mm -hmm. So if you are, even if you own one share of a company, just for the fun of it, you bought one share of Tesla, you can go to Tesla investor relations website and you can see every single news release, every single update about battery technology, about sales, whatever it is you are interested in, you have full access to that information. In fact, because of this uh, uh, digitalization, the laws change in many countries. In the United right. States, it became illegal to do uh, selective disclosure, as they call it. Regulation FD, Regulation Fair Disclosure, prohibits uh, investor relations people to communicate just to financial analysts. If they have a communication, it must be publicly available to everybody. It was impossible to do in the past. Nowadays, it's easy. You put it on the website. Right. It's a website that considered a disclosure vehicle. They're recognized by, recognized by SEC, Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States. And so everybody has access to it. Uh, SEC itself, Securities and Exchange Commission, they maintain a database of corporate communication. So the annual reports, quarterly reports, uh, 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 current reports, whatever communication the company is doing goes to the SEC website, Edgar. Right. Electronic data gathering and retrieval database. Okay. So the shareholder can go to Edgar, search for a company, for example, Tesla, and also get access to all the information that financial analysts receive. So access to information definitely uh, uh, changed. It's a very significant change. And it really, many people are saying that it leveled the playing field, that yeah. any person, a rural farmer in yeah. the middle of Iowa, has the same opportunities as a professional investor on Wall Street. Now, I don't necessarily think that get to that exact point because yeah. uh, uh, an important part about investments is not really giving people information, but educating people about the company. Okay. Now, I can disclose as much as I want about chemicals in Tesla batteries, but if you're not 
expert on that, you may not understand what it means. So you have to do additional research. Mm. Professional financial analysts on Wall Street, they have time, they have resources, they can hire the chemists to help them with that. If you're a rural farmer in Iowa, I think that was my example, mm. then you may not have all those resources. Yes, you also have access to Google and so on and so forth. But again, is Google as good as the uh, uh, chemist with specializes in battery technology research? Probably not. Uh, at least, you know, if there is a medical issue, I go to a medical doctor, not to Google. Um, so access to information definitely improved. But in terms of actually understanding that information, there might be still a gap mm. uh, between financial professionals or industry professionals and regular retail people. And then one more thing, I would say that digitalization changed a lot is it allowed, it gave, um, how do I say it? It gave power to retail shareholders. And this is something pretty unique because in the past, and I'm guilty of that myself, uh, many investor relations professionals did not value retail shareholders. Can I just Imagine pause there? Have... Sorry, Alexander, yes. just what's, tell us what, uh, what is a retail shareholder? Is that just anyone who wants to invest? Yes. Uh, yeah. So the industry uh, is divided into professional investors, people yeah. who manage money on behalf of organizations, on behalf of clients, and retail shareholders who are regular people uh, who invest their own money. They're not okay. professionals. They're doing it for fun or yeah. they're saving for their retirement or they just decided that this is what they're going to be doing. They're going to be <laughs> investing in stock. Okay. So retail shareholders, you can think of as people go into a retail store. So they maybe buy one yeah. or two jackets or they may buy one or two shares of different companies. And they so have, retail shareholders are regular people. So you're saying, therefore, that, yeah, they have lots of power these days because of digitalization. Absolutely. Well, I don't know if it's a, a lot of power, but it's definitely more power yeah. than they had before. Yeah. Because now with digitalization and especially the social media part of it, they can band together. And again, in the past, if I had a request from a shareholder, retail shareholder who owns one stock of my company, I may ignore it. Like, who cares? One share yeah. uh, versus a big investment company that owns millions of shares of my company, maybe the whole 1% of all the stock. Obviously, I would respond to them. Uh, but now uh, the retail shareholders can band together, they can coordinate, they can discuss, let's all sell stock in this company because they're doing something bad. Mm -hmm. Or let's all buy stock in this company because there is something good gonna happen with that company. And so instead of one share, this retail shareholder essentially become, become an organization that manage a lot of stock. And one of the most famous example is AMC. AMC is a chain of uh, movie, uh, uh, movie Right. Theaters across yes. the United States. I don't know if they exist in Europe, probably not. Mm. But at the uh, recent annual shareholder meeting, the CEO of AMC said that they think that 80% of all the stock is now in the retail shareholder hands. Wow. So that's completely flipped the screen. It's 80% versus one or two shares. 
And another interesting thing that the CEO said at that meeting, he said that now investor relations becomes important, which is kind of kind of gave me a pause because <laughs> it should have been important from the very beginning. It's maybe the AMC was in trouble because they ignored the investor relations and they did not maintain relationship with their professional investors. Yeah. But they were lucky because the retail shareholders came to their rescue, essentially. And as the many financial professional investors try to push the stock down, uh, uh, retail shareholders were actually buying AMC stock uh, and pushed the value up. And uh, AMC, I don't know if it actually happened or not, but they announced plans to sell stock while the stock is high to raise money. So they wanted to capitalize on this uh, support of the retail shareholders. But uh, I mean, th th this is absolutely amazing that digi uh, digitalization gives a chance using um, TikTok, using Twitter, using uh, Reddit, a very popular uh, a venue for uh, shareholders to come together, one of the subreddits, especially Wall Street Bets, to come together and discuss uh, stock like AMC or GameStop was another very famous uh, example where uh, right. yeah, the media portrayed the situation around GameStop as the financial professionals, the Wall Street professionals versus retail shareholders uh, whom uh, uh, they called apes. So apes against Wall Street. And uh, uh, by all indicators, apes seem to win. And uh, one of the like the uh, uh, evil face that the media put on uh, Wall Street in this particular case was Melvin Capital, who was said lost a billion dollars worth of assets back then. And just recently, a couple of weeks ago, they announced that they're going out of business because they had total losses on just GameStop were over $7 billion. So financial professional who's been doing it mm. for a long time, mm. lost 7 billions to apes, essentially people who, but again, it's, it's kind of not fair to characterize apes as people who have no knowledge. A lot of people on Wall Street bets actually themselves financial professionals. Some of the stuff they post and some of the databases they have access to, like they were able to post information that GameStop, uh, uh, the amount of short selling activities around GameStop, meaning people trying to push the stock price down, they were able to have access to these databases, which mm. regular people don't really have. Mm. So it's uh, um, it's not necessarily purely retail shareholders versus professionals. There are professionals, I think, on both sides. But uh, again, there are a lot of retail shareholders who follow those professionals on 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 wall street okay. uh, on wall street bet on, on wall street bets yeah but again uh it's interesting because mm. it's easy to talk about uh, uh the positive signs of that but there are negatives as well and going yeah. back to the amc example yeah amc at the same annual shareholders meeting uh, uh or maybe soon after that they released a press release that they're going to be donating, um, I, I, I don't exactly remember how much uh, money, I think it was $50,000. Uh, they, they, they were planning to donate $50,000 to Gorilla Fund <laughs> to make a joke that their supporters were called apes. Right. So it's like people's lives depend on the investment, pensions, 
economies, and it all becomes, uh, as they, they call it, mean. It all becomes a joke. Yes. yes, yes. <laughs> Apes support AMC versus Wall Street professionals, and then AMC donates 50000 to Gorilla Fund in order of the ape shareholders. Uh, uh, I mean, well, it's, it's it's good to have fun, but there are yes, serious yes. issues at stake there as well. There are. That's right. It affects people's lives. So that's interesting. Um, so we've kind of given a, a brief picture of digitalization's effects on the world of financial communication and investor relations. Can I then put this on you as well? Uh, the question of what do you think hasn't changed? Has are some things still the same in financial communication and investor relations? And what, what would they be just briefly? Oh, absolutely. I think fundamentals are still the same. Uh, as I said at the very beginning, the job of investor relations professional is building and maintaining relationships. That did not go away at all. If you don't have relationships with your uh, larger shareholders, if they don't feel comfortable asking you questions, if they don't understand your business, number one, they may sell your stock if they don't understand what it's doing and what its future prospects. Uh, then they may just say, okay, I don't understand that company, screw it. But they also may leave a lot of value on the table. If they don't understand the potential uh, uh, growth of electric cars, for example, if financial analysts, financial investors don't understand that in the future all cars will be electric, then they're not going to value Tesla as much as they do, or they're not going to value... Uh, the new uh, 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 Nissan Leaf line or Volkswagen ID4, I believe the electric car is, or Rivian, uh, the whole new electric car company as much. So that relationship building to help investors understand the value of the company is still the cornerstone of investor relations. And yeah, the disclosure, there may be more disclosure, there may be different uh, uh, venues for disclosure, the access to information changes, but all of that is needed in order to build understanding, to actually explain to the shareholders what is the value of the company and what is the future of the company, how the company is going to make money for 100 years to come. And so this is still the yeah. key of investor relations. It's still the most okay. important part. Yeah. And uh, di digitalization just provides different elements, maybe making it easier, making it faster, allowing more information to be uh, transmitted. But it still needs to lead mm. to understanding mm. and uh, building and maintaining relationship. Okay, thanks. Now, um, can you give us an example? I, I think you've uh, looked at the multinational enterprise software corporation, SAP, uh, SE. Can you tell us about that from a digitalization's effect on financial communication and investor relations point of view, uh, how, how does this company provide a good example of that? Absolutely. And uh, this is actually goes back to uh, uh, research that was conducted by my co-author, uh, Christian Hoffman. He is mm. an outstanding expert on investor relations and uh, he done, he's done so much research uh, uh, on the German market, European market in general, but German market uh, in particular. And uh, one of the projects that he conducted that was in partnership with the German Investor Relations Association, they looked at the uh, digitalization uh, in the investor relations program of various German companies. 
And uh, what they did is they developed a typology of different companies, different corporations in Germany mm. uh, to kind of place them along the line of digitalization, of uh, adopting digital tools. Mm. And they started with the, with the most basic ones. They call them digital transmitters, where uh, the companies were using digital tools just to make their life easier. They did not, they did not use the unique abilities of digital tools. They simply used them to, to, to do what they were doing already. So instead of printing a nail report, you will do a PDF and put it online, but nothing right. really qualitatively changed. Yeah. And then the most advanced category was digital pioneers. Those are the ones who actually utilized the uh, opportunities that digital technology provided to them. And one of the most advanced examples on the German market was a uh, uh, SAP company that, that, that you mentioned. They mm. call them uh, leaders, digital pioneers. Mm. And going back to the very same example of the uh, uh, annual report, which all companies have to provide, if at the basic level, you can simply take that annual report and make a PDF out of it, at the advanced level, and this is what SAP did, you can actually, instead of a PDF, instead of the annual report, you can use what the opportunities that digitalization provides you and create an actual website out of the report. Right. And if it is a website, then you can sort it. You can click through different parts. You can, if you want to look only at, uh, let's say, environmental issues related to the company, then you can sort it by that. You can download the data into Excel and mm -hmm. to analyze it. So the, da the data is stacked. Uh, uh, it's something called XBRL, which is extensive, extensible business reporting language, where every number you have in the report has a little tag. And so it gives a, uh, um, it gives a, a signal to Excel or any other program you are using what sell this exact number should be long and you can compare different companies between each other. You can compare uh, 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 corporate results from year to year, for example, and makes it very easily. Mm -hmm. So you don't just use <clears throat> digital tools to do what you were always doing. You actually change what you are doing. And this is what digitalization can do. And this is a unique example of SAP. And I think it's interesting that this SAP is a technology company. So obviously technology company, you would expect to be good at technology. And uh, uh, the same happened all over the world. Uh, uh, I did a study a few years ago on digitalization in the United States. And the same way, among the leaders, among the digital pioneers, were technology companies. eBay, uh, mm. maybe not not really associated with being a leader nowadays, mm -hmm. but 10 years ago, 15 years ago, eBay was on the cutting edge and they were the, among the first ones who started live tweeting the annual shareholder meeting. So uh, that was unheard of. Uh, uh, investor relations uh, professionals were not very fast to adopt to social media and start yeah. posting on social media. But uh, yeah. eBay was among the pioneers who started live tweeting for people who cannot be uh, present in this. We didn't have then virtual shareholders meetings as we uh, developed over the last couple of years during the right. pandemic. So they were live tweeting there. Yeah. The same was with Dell. Dell was absolutely amazing. 
I don't remember the name of the investor relations person for Dell, uh, but she was an outstanding leader for the investor relations industry and digitalization of it. I think she left Dell now. I don't remember where she is now, but she was amazing. She was, uh, she started Dell investor relations blog and not just Dell blog, but specifically investor relations blog. Again, building relationship, maintaining relationship where people could talk, where she could explain in more details mm. what is actually going on without violating regulation FD because it's yeah. online, it's available to everybody. Yeah. And uh, uh, again, Dell, eBay, Voiman, the pioneers, the way SAP uh, 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 is as well. Okay. One final question, Alexander, and that is uh, looking to the future. What's still ahead of us with financial communication and investor relations? And, and particularly, what, have, what should we still research and study to do this better? What's the gap there that we can still address? Well, that's a good question. Uh, uh, I think I would know what would happen in 10 years. <laughs> I, would probably, I would probably make money on that. Yeah. Uh, but there are a few trends that I think uh, we can uh, identify. Uh -huh. So um, retail shareholders are definitely growing. There is more retail in investments nowadays. And this situation actually happened already in the 40s and 50s. 40s and 50s were the time when there were a lot of retail shareholders. Uh, uh, in the United States especially, there was a significant growth in the economy. People had more income that they could spend. It was before our uh, uh, famous spending economy, consumer economy in the United States. And so they, invest, they invested. There were a lot of retail investors. And one day it all collapsed. Why did it collapse? Because the market pulled down. The market cannot grow forever. Mm. It's easy to make money when the market is growing. And we had that for the last at least five years. But it is slowing down now as well. And it's for retail uh, uh, shareholders, it is very nice to invest in stock. And then a year later, look at it and see that it, it went up, maybe even doubled, as happened with many stocks like Tesla or Amazon. Um, and obviously we would say, wow, I'm a genius. I invested so well. But when the market is cooling down, mm. the stocks are going to go down. And how does retail shareholders react to that? Mm. Uh, we don't know that. And I think we're going to see it in a year or two, maybe even sooner. Um, and how do retail shareholders react when they start losing money? Um, are they going to just pull out of the market? Are they going to develop some kind of alternative instruments to retain that? Maybe it will go into, into blockchain investments. Uh, how regulators going to react? Because at least in the United States, one of the mission of Securities and Exchange Commission is specifically protecting retail shareholders. Mm. And if retail shareholders are losing money and they're complaining to their government, to their representatives, what is going to be reaction from the Securities and Exchange Commission? They cannot tell stocks not to fall, but what are they going to do? So mm. What kind of regulations are they going to introduce? Okay. So this is something interesting yeah. to yeah. research. Yeah. And then another thing is if we have a lot of those retail shareholders, and we know it, unfortunately, from uh, other uh, uh, environments as well, the loud voices can develop 
in this uh, sea of retail shareholders. Mm. And those loud voices are not necessarily the best voices. They're not necessarily <laughs> the smartest voices or the most right. accurate voices or even representing the majority mm. of people. They're just the loudest for whatever reason. And this can affect and, the uh, reputation yeah, of the corporation. Uh, no, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. And with digitalization, especially on social media, on Reddit, on Wall Street Bets, many of those voices, well, all pretty much of those voices are anonymous. So that can be anybody saying anything. And if that person has a following of million people, that he or she or they, they can lead people to, I don't know where, whenever they want to lead them. And so this is also interesting. And how you, let's say I'm an investor relations officer for Tesla, and there is a very active voices on Reddit saying that Tesla is bad for the environment because the batteries cannot be recycled. How do I react to that? Uh, what do I do? I mean, do I also go on Wall Street bets and engage in conversation there, which companies typically don't do? Hmm. Uh, so this is another thing. Okay. How do you react to anonymous uh, uh, people who are leading millions of shareholders in your company and you cannot you don't even know who they are yeah so this okay. is another interesting area to research and then see okay. how it's going to play out in the future yeah wow very interesting um you portrayed a really interesting perspective of not just the current but future world of financial communication and investor relations so it uh, gives us something to look forward to, more research in this area, and we'll see how it plays out in practice as well. Thank you for your time, Alexander. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. It's been a pleasure. You were listening to the Digital Corporate Communication, DCC podcast. 